Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. When I think of some of the most remarkable people that I've ever met, my mind almost immediately goes to the, for, for a lack of a better term, but believe in spite of people. It's those people that are going through difficult, challenging circumstances. Maybe it's with their health, their finances, their family, you name it. But, but yet their confidence in God seems absolutely unshakable. They still have joy. They still have peace. And honestly, it defies all logic because you're looking at this situation from the outside thinking to yourself, if I was going through that, I would be reacting. I would be behaving much differently. These individuals truly seem to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You almost wonder if they're in denial. But, but there's something about it yet that's, that's inspiring. That, that even though you're not totally sure where that piece is coming from, you're, you're pretty sure that you want some of it. In fact, there's a whole bunch of you who are watching right now, and the reason that you decided to turn this service on this morning, the, the, the reason you're giving church a chance is because you saw exactly what I'm describing in someone else, and you wanted to know more. You've seen people in the midst of everything that we're experiencing in our world right now that seems so calm, so at peace, still full of joy. And in one way or another, maybe you just asked them, maybe you pieced it together from their Instagram post, but you just figured out the it factor for them was their unshakable faith in Jesus. And again, you thought to yourself, I, I don't really know what I'm getting myself into, but, but I'm like 99.9% .9 sure I'd like a little bit of whatever they have. So, so here you are, G giving church a chance, giving Jesus a chance, because even if you're not totally sure what this whole Christianity thing is all about, it sure seems better than whatever you're currently working with. Because the truth is, you don't have much peace. If you were to be honest, you don't have a lot of confidence. The, the, the future scares you to death. Shoot, death scares you to death. But, but these people, even in spite of what we're experiencing right now in our world, they just seem fine. In fact, they seem better than fine. It's like they're thriving. Like, what is wrong with them? Now, this morning, we're starting a brand new five-part series titled God of Miracles where over the course of the month of July, we're going to be taking a look at just a handful of the miracles documented in Scripture in this book that we call the Bible. And we think that by examining these miracles, it will inspire our faith, remind us that we aren't simply looking for just some higher power, but there's a real God out there who desperately wants to be close to you, to have a relationship with you. These miracles documented in Scripture are for us. They're a gift for us so that we can learn more about Him, learn more about God, His character, His purposes, and the great lengths that He will go to in order to grab the attention of His most prized creation, which happens to be you. Now today, as we kick things off, we're going to explore where this type of unshakable faith comes from. Like, where do these believe in spite of people get this belief, this faith from? Where did it begin for them? 
And more importantly, is it possible for you to have this type of faith as well? I mean, a faith that stretches beyond, just believe, brother, just believe, sister. A faith that isn't divorced from reason, a faith that isn't merely blind hope, a faith that is defendable, a faith that holds up even in the midst of a crisis. And if you've ever wrestled with this, and chances are, if you're watching right now, you probably have, I have some incredible news for you this morning. Jesus, during his time on earth, he had a knack for pulling off the unthinkable, the impossible, the miraculous. And why that's actually great news for all of us is that many of the people who witnessed these events wrote this stuff down for us so that we may too believe. John, being one of the 12 disciples who spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus during his time on earth, he frames it this way. He puts it quite plainly for us. He says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, this book that we call the Bible. But these are written so that you, as in you watching right now, may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, and by believing in him alone, you will have life by the power of his name. And when John is referencing life right here, life by the power of his name, he's talking about those believe in spite of people, those people with the unshakable faith. So in other words, this isn't a belief that's divorced from reason. This isn't blind hope. This isn't shut up and stop asking questions, just believe. Why should I believe? Why should you believe? Well, John and Mark and Luke and Paul and Matthew, they would all say you should believe because of what happened because of what Jesus did. See, these original followers of Jesus did not follow Jesus because of faith, and neither should you. They followed Jesus because of what they saw. They followed Jesus because of what they heard. Now, here's admittedly the tension for some of you, and it's already crept into some of your heads as I've started talking this morning. You personally are not witnessing and observing these miracles, these signs, as Jesus' original followers were. And the temptation for you, really for all of us, is to have this thought. Well, well, if I would have actually seen this stuff, of course I would believe. If I would have actually been there and watched this stuff with my own eyes, of course I would believe. Perhaps. I mean, it's possible. But if you've ever had that thought, the miracle, the sign that we're going to be looking at this morning, I suspect will really resonate with you. Now, before we take a look at this miracle, I want to remind all of you, as I'll continue to remind you throughout this series, we all, as in every single one of us watching right now, we all have the benefit of hindsight. We already know that Jesus wraps up his time on this earth by predicting his own death and predicting his own resurrection, then actually pulling that off. And if that's true, then we would all be fools to not pay careful attention to what else Jesus said and did during his time on earth. I mean, these miracles, they would they'd still be impressive, but, but in light of Jesus rising from the grave, it, it makes these miracles come even more to life. So, so here we go, on to Jesus' second miracle during his time on this earth. It, it says there in the book of John, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned water into wine, what would be his first miracle. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. So the first miracle that Jesus performs is a joyful occasion. Again, he turns water into wine, which we're actually going to explore a little bit later in this series. The second, as we're talking about this morning, is a heartbreaking one. 
And I just got to tell you, I love that about Jesus. He wades into both. He's willing to be a part of the celebration, but he's also willing to be a part of someone's sickness. Now, now two really important details worth pointing out here, but before we go any further. One, Capernaum was about an eight-hour walk from Cana, where Jesus currently is. And so if you were a person of means, which this government official was, it would be like a two to three hour journey by horse or chariot. Second, as it notes here, he was a government official, which probably meant that he was a Jewish aristocrat and likely a Sadducee, a sect of Judaism. Now, there were two really, really important groups in Jerusalem at this point in history. One, the Pharisees, and two, the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they practice a strict adherence to the law. God was very much in their theology involved in the day-to-day of life. They believed in an afterlife, but the Sadducees were more thinkers. They were more deterministic. They weren't actually sure if there was an afterlife. We're here, they thought, for the pleasure of God and everything is determined. You don't really ask God for anything because it's already set. Fate dictates everything. But, but today, for this government official, all of that gets brushed to the side. Because in this moment, he is a desperate father. Isn't it interesting that all of our intellect all of our pride, all of that certainty gets pushed to the side when someone we love is suffering. And and on this day, even though he's a Sadducee and it's all determined, he doesn't care because he is terrified that his son, his little boy, is about to die. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged. I mean, he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. He makes the three-hour horse ride and he begs Jesus to come home with him in order to heal his son. Now, take this for what it's worth, but here's my theory of how this went down. Most people in this area at this point in history had at least heard of Jesus and and some of the stuff that he was pulling off. And this guy's wife, upon hearing that Jesus was close enough, she took one look at her husband and she said to him, you go find that man and you bring him here right now. And that father, this government official, he had a decision to make, to go hunting for Jesus, leaving his son, knowing that he might never see his son alive again, and even more, These were just rumors at this point, rumors of a supposed miracle worker. The the, the verb tense here implies that this official was begging Jesus over and over and over again. He was desperate. Forget dignity, forget his theology, forget his position in society, because my son is dying. So what will it take you to come home with me and heal him? A lot of you watching right now, you can relate to this. Because weren't these your first prayers? When you were desperate, out of options, you needed help and you needed help now. Now now what Jesus says next, it it seems so insensitive, but, but, but only because of our English translations. And he's not just addressing the official, that's important to keep in mind, but the entire crowd that is gathered that day. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? 
Jesus isn't actually annoyed here as it's so often interpreted. No, he's simply acknowledging what everyone in that crowd is thinking. That there's no way that any of you are gonna believe I am who I claim to be, the son of God, unless you see with your very eyes. Because as the popular phrase goes, seeing is believing. He's going, I'm not expecting any of you to have faith for the sake of faith. And so Jesus decides to give him some proof. Something to talk about. And interestingly enough, this happened a couple thousand years ago, and we're still talking about it today. The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. He's going, I know how pathetic I look right now. I know it is embarrassing how little I've become, that I'm begging He's so desperate. But, but what I'm so struck by in this situation isn't the desperation, but, but, but his confidence. He is so confident that if he can just get Jesus to come home with him, it'll work. His son will be healed. Now, now, now Why? Like, like, where is that confidence coming from? Why did he make this trek, this journey? And, and it's more simple than, than you may think. It's, it's rumors, stories of the Son of God, the Messiah, Savior on earth, holiness with human hands. And, and so in his mind, there are two options. Jesus comes with me and perhaps my son is healed or he doesn't come and my son will die. But Jesus smiles, perhaps, because there's a third option. That Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. <laughs> he tells the man, I I'm not coming, but you don't have anything to worry about. All you dads who are watching right now, can you even imagine this? Say, oh, if I go home without you, there, there may be two deaths in our family. There are two very clear options here. You come with me and my son lives, or you don't come with me and my son dies. But you're saying that you're not coming with me, but my son will still live anyway? You're telling me that you want me to take this three-hour trek back home, which is going to feel like a three-day journey at this point, and just expect that when I get there, all is going to be well. And, and, and don't miss this. This is so important. This is where everyone who is watching right now, where your story collides with this man's story. Jesus asks him to do what he has been asking people to do ever since. He asked the official to do what he's asking you to do this morning. He asked the official to trust him based on the testimony from other people. Jesus asks you to trust him based upon the testimony of others. He asked this guy to trust him based on the stories told about him. And again, this is the path where every one of you are currently walking or at some point walked before putting your faith, your trust in Jesus. This story is a lifetime reduced to a day. We are asked to take Jesus at his word based on the word of other people. 
We are asked to trust our lives to Jesus based on the people who heard Jesus, saw Jesus, walked alongside Jesus. And so this official, he thinks over what's being asked of him, and he makes a decision that people have been making now for 2,000 years, a decision that you actually have the opportunity to make this morning. It's so beautiful. He decided to trust Jesus. He decided to take Jesus at his word. He decided to believe Jesus. And this decision changed not only his life, but as we're about to see, his entire family's life. He decided to trust Jesus even though the evidence wasn't staring at him in the face. And the man believed what Jesus said, and he started home. Perhaps more importantly, he behaved as if what Jesus said to him could be trusted. I want us to think about this. He walked away from the only one who could heal his son because he decided that he could trust Jesus. While the man was on his way, back home, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. A chill runs down his spine, tears fill his eyes, and he races home to see his son who is now healed. And upon arriving home, you have to imagine his wife rushing outside to greet him to tell him the news, and she notices that he doesn't even seem surprised. And she looks around wondering, Where, where's Jesus? Where is this miracle worker? And he recounts the story, and the entire household, his entire family also put their trust in Jesus, and why wouldn't they? Of course they did. You would have too. Well, if I would have actually seen this stuff, of course I would believe. Come on. Don't be so naive. Do not be so simple-minded. I'm begging you to stop using this as your loophole. You, you watching right now, are not being asked to do anything more than what was asked of this government official some 2,000 years ago. You were invited to believe just as the official in this story was invited to believe. And of course, just like this official, it requires you to take a leap. It requires trust. But it's not crossing your fingers and it certainly isn't a blind trust. It isn't blind hope because just like this man, and honestly, we have even more testimony to rely on because we know how this story ends with Jesus rising from a grave. We are being asked to trust based on the testimony of others. You have reason to believe. You have reason to trust. It's not blind hope. 
It's not whimsical fairy tale. It's a choice to place our trust in Jesus based on what happened, based on the reliable testimony of others, but based on reason. And this morning, just like that government official some 2,000 years ago, you are given that opportunity to place your trust in Jesus. See, the Most High God made the standard so incredibly simple that the way that you would be declared righteous, the way that you would get that right standing back with God has nothing to do with what you've done. It has nothing to do with any sort of a religious routine and habits. It just has to do with faith, trust, belief, synonymous terms. It has everything to do with you simply putting your trust in Jesus. Putting your faith that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. And wherever you're watching from right now, it could be as simple as you right now. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and just say, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I cannot get it together on my own. I recognize my need for a savior. And Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that the God of the universe got off of his throne and came down to this earth and ultimately would pay the death that was owed to me. He would pay that ultimate price. But then three days later, I believe Jesus that you rose from the grave. Jesus, from this day forward, I choose to put my trust and my hope in you. I choose to live for you. Amen. And we're told that just like that, that that righteousness, that right standing is restored to us. And for the rest of you, I want to end right where I began this morning. For those of you watching right now who would already identify as a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you. To, to those of you who keep praying the same prayer over and over and over again, even though sometimes you're ready to give up, but, but yet you remain faithful. That, that sometimes, if you're honest, you ask yourself, is this really worth it? What am I doing? But ultimately, you remain steadfast. Do you know who's watching you? And do you know what God is doing in the lives around you because of your faithfulness? You do not. And do you know who is a day or a month or a year or five years away from placing their faith in Jesus because of your example? No. For someone else, you are the believe in spite of person that they're looking up to wondering where it all comes from. That, that, that leads them to begin exploring, to begin searching. We have reason to believe. And, and because of that, we then have the opportunity to show Jesus to the world that so desperately needs him through, through our lives because of how he has so radically transformed us.